here. I want you to have a seat. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. You know, this is our second week here at Westchester, and last week was so smooth. It was so great, and uh, this week has been the exact opposite of that. Uh, uh, it was like all the disasters and all the glitches were saved for this week, and, and so that's how our team was greeted this morning. That's why we have these amazing decorations, these 60-inch uh, uh, decorations all over uh, the stage and uh, why the lights don't work uh, particularly well, and uh, so thank you. Uh, but it is good to be reminded that the church is just a gathering of Jesus followers for the purpose of scattering at the end of the gathering, and uh, we don't need uh, everything to work perfectly every time. Uh, to do what it is that God has asked us to do today. Why don't you turn in your Bible to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. The last few weeks we've been eavesdropping in on... Jesus' prayer. This is what week one was all about. Uh, God is glorified when Jesus is glorified, and in the midst of all that glory, we receive eternal life. So as we eavesdropped in on Jesus' prayer, that's what we learned from the first few verses. The second week was, uh, we in this world, the disciple knows God's word and knows God's name. Last week was that Jesus has left this world, but he has left us his joy, which should be a game changer for us, because the thing that you and I want the most is joy. Uh, that's the reason we do everything that we do, to try to get as much joy as possible. Now, you maybe don't use those same words, but that's really what we're after. And we would give up any amount of money. We would give up any, any status home. We would give up any status job if we knew that even if we didn't get those things, we would still have joy. That's what we want, and it's the very thing that Jesus wants to give us um, but, you know, when you eavesdrop in on somebody, uh, there can be unintended consequences. And if you've done it uh, before, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, last night I was at the Walgreens picking up some medicine for one of my kids, and it was kind of late. It was about 9 o'clock at night, but for some reason the Walgreens is always crowded uh, late at night. And so I'm about four people deep in the line, and some commotion is happening there at the checkout area, and a manager has been called. And, and so it's kind of far away from me. But I really want to know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I just really need to know. I feel like it's my human right uh, to understand what is happening. But it's far away, and so I'm just doing my best to try to listen in. And I'm just, I, I guess that I was really staring intently because the manager turns to me and says, well, what kind of cigarettes would you like? And, 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 and I thought, well, well maybe... Uh, Maybe he thought I was actually hearing what was going on, and then I was like, I don't think I want to. Do I want any cigarettes? I feel like I'm in high school again. Uh, no, I, I don't. And I showed him the medicine, and I'm like, no, I'm just here for this. Uh, no, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll pass. Because when you eavesdrop in, there could be unintended consequences. You remember when you were a kid, and you wanted to eavesdrop in on one of your older brother or sister's phone conversations, or your mom and dad's, and you picked up the other line. Kids today can't do that because there are no lines. But back in our day... You could do that, and, and you were not smart enough to cover your breathing, and they, they, you always got caught, or you eventually got caught, and uh, then you were in trouble. That's unintended consequences from eavesdropping. And I feel a little bit like we're going to wish that we were not eavesdropping in on the section of Scripture that we are today. Remember, Jesus is praying 
to his father on the eve of being arrested and betrayed. And we're listening in. And you can learn a lot by listening into Jesus' prayer. You can learn about how he feels about God, how God feels about him, how he feels about his situation. But what we're going to hear today, I think, is going to uh, scare us a little bit. It's going to intimidate us a little bit. I I think it's honestly going to be something that we wish we did not know. uh, But God wanted us to know it, and that's why it's been recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. John chapter 17, verse 14. Again, Jesus is praying. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. So Jesus has given who? The disciples, God's word. The world hated them because they are not of the world as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of the world. So here's the main idea for today. We are in the world but not of the world, because Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. If you look at your listening guide, that's what you want to write in. We are in the world, but not of the world, because Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. You know, one of the main themes of his prayer is that he is leaving the disciples there, but he is going away. But what we've realized is that even though we've been left here, we've not been left unequipped. We've already seen that he's given us God's name, that he's given us God's word. We saw last week that he's given us uh, his joy. Second Peter chapter one, verse three, summarize it when it says that we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. You have been left here. and, And why have you been left here? You've been left here for a significant purpose. But then he goes on. He says, I'm not praying that they would be taken out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not in the world. Jesus is not in sync with the world. Therefore, we will constantly be at odds with the world. I was in the marching band in high school. My uh, school was one where you could just pretty much do anything and everything. It was not a super huge 5A school. And so I played basketball and baseball and soccer and was in the band. Uh, uh, Over a quarter of 25% of the whole school was in the marching band. So it was a pretty fun experience. I was a drummer. I played the the drums, which is obviously the coolest of all instruments. And uh, and so... um, being a drummer, you know, there's not much warm-up that you need to do. You know, just a few little of these things, and that's it. But if you play the other instruments, you need to warm up your mouth, and you need to warm up your instrument. And, and so after we would do our warm-ups as drummers, then we would just really sit and watch the rest of the band warm up. And it was always interesting. They would gather all together. They would get in their places, their assigned places. They would pull out their instruments, and they would start warming them up. They'd start putting them together. And, of course, some instruments are harder to put together uh, than others. And, and pretty much during that time, it was a free-for-all. You could do whatever you wanted. So uh, some people are, you know, pulling out their trumpet and they're, they're doing little runs from the, the performance that we're getting to put on or the, the, music, the piece that we're getting ready to play. And, and uh, other people would get out and play a pop song if they had memorized it, you know, and they only knew one, so they would play it every time. And, and some people are doing scales. And it was just really just mass chaos. You can imagine 250 people playing different things, different tempos, different rhythms, uh, different time signatures, just all together, just mass chaos. And then the conductor would set out his little box. He had this little box that he would stand on. He would set it down, and everybody is still doing their thing, but they would notice that he set it down. And then he would stand up on 
on it, still everybody is doing their warm-up. They're doing their scales, and the other person is going through their little run, and, and some people are playing a pop song. They're already just mass chaos, but out of the corner of their eye, they know that he has now stood up on his box, and he lifts up his little magic wand thing that conductors have. It's pretty amazing. And uh, he lifts it up, and when he does like this, they stop playing their own thing, and they just come to the same note. And it was amazing to hear it go from chaos to being perfectly in sync, all playing one note. You have the low end, you have the tubas, they're playing the same note. You've got the high end, you've got the flutes and the clarinets, they're playing the same note. You've got the stuff in the middle like trombones and saxophones and French horns, all playing the same note in unison, and it was very powerful. But what we learned from eavesdropping in on Jesus' prayer is that moment will never happen between Jesus and the world. Now, when we talk about the world, we're not talking about just the people of the world. We're talking about this system that we live in, this system that has been unfortunately organized against God. The world system and Jesus will never come into that kind of harmony in the way that things exist right now. The world and Jesus will never play the same note. They will never come into that kind of alignment. That's why Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. And he talked about the kingdom of God distinct and different from the kingdom of this world. I mean, that's the first message that we understand that he preached. He would go around preaching, what, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning the kingdom of God is here. It's come with me, Jesus, and now you need to get into the kingdom of God. That's why he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that if he wants to be in the kingdom of God, he has to be born again. He was born one time into this world, just like you were born one time into this world. But to be in the kingdom of God, because it's something distinct, it's something different, you have to be born into that kingdom. Jesus calls it the age and the age to come. This kingdom is the age to come. It's here now, but it's different and distinct from other things. That's why he would constantly talk about the kingdom through parables. I want to show you one of those parables. Matthew chapter 13. Turn there. Matthew chapter 13. He tells a parable about wheat and weeds. He says in verse 24, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. So Jesus says this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what our experience is like here now in this world. We are the wheat. Why are we the wheat? Why? Because we're the best. Because we're perfect. Because we're wonderful. Because we're so righteous. Because we come to church every week. No, that's not why we're wheat. We're wheat because we've been born again in the kingdom of God. So there's wheat and there are weeds. There's, there are people who are not a part of the kingdom of God. 
but we live together. Sometimes it's not obvious who is the wheat and who is the weeds, but there will be a day, Jesus said, a harvest time where it's going to be made known. So maybe you're here this morning, and the truth is, is that you've dressed like a wheat this morning. Your life looks like wheat, but the truth is, is you know in your heart that you're actually a weed. A lot of similarities. You come to church. You try to do good by people. You try to, 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 to be nice. You, you try to live your life according to some kind of moral standard. But the truth is, is that you've not been born again into the kingdom of God. It's wheat and it's weeds. And that can be an interesting situation for us here living on planet Earth, can it? Because we love the weeds and we care about the weeds and we want the best thing for the weeds and we work with the weeds and we are in the family with the weeds and, and, and are neighbors with the weeds and we care about them very much, but there comes moments in your life and your experience here where you just go, we're, we're not the same. There's some unique and distinct differences, differences between wheat and weeds. And Jesus said, because of those differences, because of this system that we are living in in this world, there's going to be rejection. He, he says it even stronger than that. He said the world will hate the disciples. Why? Because they first hated Jesus. If you read through the gospel of John, you see that Jesus was rejected in a lot of different ways. In John chapter 5, people try to persecute and kill Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus is rejected by his own disciples, not the original 12, but there was another circle of 72, and some in that circle said, I, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. His teaching is too strange and it's too hard to accept. John chapter 7, Jesus is rejected by his own brothers, by his own flesh and blood. John chapter 7 also uh, says that Jesus was accused of being demon possessed. John chapter 7 also says that the Pharisees and priests want Jesus to be arrested. They even call the temple police. John chapter 8. Uh, people attempt to stone Jesus. John chapter 9, uh, they try to prove that Jesus is a fraud and liar. John chapter 10, people attempt to stone Jesus again. John chapter 11, some religious leaders uh, begin to plot to kill Jesus. John chapter 12, the chief priests try to kill Lazarus because of his testimony about Jesus. And in John chapter 13, Judas leaves the Last Supper to betray Jesus. And that's why he says in John chapter 15, remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What Jesus is saying is, is if it happens to the one who leads, it happens to the one who follows. Jesus is not in sync with this world. He's not in alignment with this world. The world does not come around the things that he comes around. Therefore, you and I should not be surprised when we find ourselves at odds with this world. Because we are followers. Jesus is at odds with the world. We follow him. We are at odds with the world. But that's not the equation that I'm interested in this morning. I'm interested in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. I want the equation to be Jesus was hated by this world. I follow Jesus. Somehow, magically and miraculously, I am loved by the world. That's the equation that we want. We've even prayed for that equation. We've been bitter when it actually turns out the way that Jesus said. But he says, listen, if it happened to the one who leads... It's going to eventually happen to the one 
It follows, Jesus is not in sync with the world. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we aren't either. Next thing I'd love for you to write down, Jesus is not in sync with the world because the world takes its direction from Satan. Man, if this is your first time here, I'm sorry, we're just going for it today. But, uh, you know, we don't, we don't pick the, the scriptures. Uh, the scriptures pick us today. Jesus is not in sync with the world because the world takes its direction from Satan. John chapter 17, look what Jesus says. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In John's gospel, Satan is referred to once by name as Satan, once as the evil one here, uh, three times as the devil, and three times as the ruler of this world. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible and you hear the Bible calling Satan the, the ruler of this world, you may think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. That sounds like something we should ascribe to Jesus, that Jesus is the ruler of this world. But Jesus is actually the one who calls Satan the ruler of this world. And what that tells us is that in the way that God has organized his plan, his sovereign story, he has given Satan uh, a tremendous amount of authority and power on this planet at this time. Now, what is interesting is God uses Satan's authority and power and plan for his own glory. When you think about uh, Satan comes into the Garden of Eden and he tempts Adam and Eve and sin enters the world. And at that point, Satan becomes the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. He starts living out this authority that God, for some reason, has given them. But look how God has used that to his own advantage. Look at all we know about God because sin has entered the world. We know that God redeems. You wouldn't know that about God if there weren't, wasn't sin. Uh, we, we see that God, uh, we see how much God loves us, that he would rescue us from sin, even though we chose against him. You wouldn't know that kind of love if it weren't for Satan's rebellion. So God uses Satan being the ruler of this world for his own glory. But Satan is organizing this world according to his will. And that helps us to understand why Jesus is not in alignment. He is not in sync with the world, and, and we shouldn't want to be either. This is where you and I, we, we think about how we would love for the equation to be different. Jesus is hated by the world. We follow Jesus. We are loved by the world. It, it really helps us to say maybe we, should, maybe we don't want to be loved by the world. Maybe we don't want worldwide fame. Maybe don't, we don't want the world's adulation and praise if the world is being run and organized by Satan. So I really didn't know where this message was going to go until Friday. And uh, if you have uh, been anything but a hermit um, and not been on any social media, not watched television, uh, not watched, uh, you know, any kind of news, uh, then you're the only one that's not aware about the Supreme Court's ruling uh, that now every state has to give license uh, to uh, to every person who wants to get married uh, gay or straight, and a lot of the world is celebrating, and you and I, we're living here on planet Earth, and we love people, and we're kind, and it just is a tension for us, and uh, if this is your first time here at Bayou City, or you've been here a few times, you're like, oh man, I knew that, you know, every church is like this, I just want you to know that we're not like that, we're not politically driven, uh, we're not uh, big on making a bunch of statements, uh, we're not an issue uh, driven church, that's just not really our gear, our gear is to put our head down, mind our own kingdom business, and minister to the people who uh, God puts in front of us. That's our 
normal lane. But at the same time, when something like this happens, we need to be able to address it. Um, because it's going to become a reality for us here. Now, we're not the first ones. There are others, other Christians from other states who have already had to deal with some of these things. But here in Texas, this is, this is a new day for us. Because some of us are going to have to decide, do I go to the wedding? It's a friend. It's a co-worker. What would Jesus have me to do? Should I be in the wedding? Should I be a bridesmaid? Should I be a groomsman? Should I stand there? Should I rent the tux? What should I do? Those are hard questions. Some of you are going to have family members, and you're going to get an invitation in the mail, and, and your non-attendance is going to be a statement. And you're like, I didn't want to make a statement. That's the way I feel. I don't want to make a statement. I want to love the people that God puts in front of me, and I don't want to have to make grand declarations. That's the way I want to live my life. That's the way I want our church to, 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 to the personality of our church. But unfortunately, maybe we don't have that choice. And some of us have some pretty hard decisions awaiting us. And so we need to be able to discuss it. Because the Supreme Court has decided that we should discuss it. Again, this is your first time here. I, I just want to just stick around and know the people. We have the best people in the world. And I, I can't apologize enough that we're having to talk about this. But we're going to have to talk about it. So here's a few things that, that I've been thinking that I wanted to say this morning. Um, number one, I believe a, the clear reading of the scripture is that God does not bless same-sex relationships. It's just, I believe that's the clear reading of the scripture. And it's in a lot of different contexts. You know, that's what one of the things that you'll read is, uh, well, it's addressing something specific. It's not addressing uh, same-sex relationships. It's addressing uh, uh, child abuse. It's, it's addressing some kind of sexual assault. And that may be case if, if this issue was only addressed once in the Bible. Maybe you could make that argument, but it's not. From the beginning of God's people, we've seen that this is not God's will in the Old Testament. You're like, well, we don't have to apply the Old Testament and the New Testament. We left a lot of the Old Testament behind in the Old Testament. It's a new day because we follow Jesus. And that's true in a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter how you eat. It doesn't matter how you uh, dress. It, it doesn't matter in the specific way that you came to church this morning. We don't have to do specific religious rituals anymore. But what does carry over from the Old Testament into the New Testament is sexual ethics. And all the sexual ethics in the Old Testament are carried over into the New Testament. And same-sex attraction is one of those things. We see it in uh, the Old Testament. We see it in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. We see it in the letter to the Romans. We see it to the letter to the Corinthians. We see it in the uh, book of Jude. Even Jesus defines marriage as male and female in Mark chapter 10. So in order to make a biblical case that God does bless same-sex relationships, then you have to really remove whole books of the Bible whole chunks of the scripture, and once we start doing that, then our whole salvation is up for grabs. Then you and I are deciding what parts should be in and what parts shouldn't be in. Another way that uh, the Bible is dismissed in this argument is by uh, people getting fast and loose with specific definitions. I, I read an article yesterday where uh, somebody, uh, somebody intelligent was trying to say that in the Old Testament when it says a man shouldn't lie with another man, that really what that means is cuddling. That a man shouldn't cuddle with another man. And, you know, you know, and it's like, okay, but I don't think God would say no cuddling, but, you know, a full-on physical relationship is fine. Just no cuddling before and after. You just have to get so fast and loose with the definitions that it just doesn't hold up. And the clear reading of the scripture from beginning to end, I think, makes it clear that God does not bless same-sex relationships. But listen, God also does not bless adultery. God also does not bless sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend before you're married. God also does not bless pornography. You and I are held accountable for all of those things. I think that's the clear reading 
of the scripture. The second thing I want to say is uh, that we need to understand the bigger picture. I was talking about this with Amanda on Friday night, and we were just talking about it. And she goes, you know what's going on here? And she said it in a way that I needed to at least act like I knew what was going on. And I'm like, I, you know, I know what's going on, but why don't you say it out loud? That would just make sure what I think is going on is also what you think is going on. And as soon as she said it, I'm like, oh, man, that is what's going on. That is totally what's going on. See, God hate, or Satan hates God, has from the very, very beginning. In fact, he coveted after God's place in heaven. Satan was an angel, and, and he wanted God's worship. He wanted God's throne, and so he made a play, and he got some other angels to go along with him. They were making a move on the throne of God. Can you imagine the audacity? They're making their move, and God doesn't even have to fight back. In fact, he sends one of his angels, one of his servants, just to, to put down the rebellion. Satan and those angels uh, are casted out away from the presence of God. And since then, Satan has been raging at God in hate, but he's also been trying to counterfeit God. You see this in the book of Revelation. Uh, Satan is the dragon, and then there's the beast, the Antichrist, which represents Jesus, and then there's the prophet. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's always trying to counterfeit God's power and God's works. So he hates God, but he's trying to act like God all at the same time. And in the scripture, what we see is that there is no better picture of God's relationship with humanity than marriage. Even in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a groom and God's people referred to as a bride. In the book of Revelation, we see that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. And uh, one big part of heaven is going to be this massive celebration, this wedding ceremony. Ephesians chapter 5, one of the most classic passages on marriage. Paul's talking about the role of a husband and the role of a wife. And at the end, he goes, you know, I'm not even really talking about marriage. I'm not talking about men and women. I'm really talking about Jesus and the church. So if Satan hates God, and wants to undermine God. And he sees this powerful picture of marriage. Don't you think he's going to try to undermine that as well? If people could look at your marriage and go, I get a sense, I get a clue of how Jesus must feel about the church. Because I see your marriage and I see how plugged in you are to Christ. Don't you think he's going to try to undermine your marriage and marriage in general? It's a part of a bigger scheme. And it happens not just with same-sex attraction, but in all kinds of forms of sexual sin. Adultery, premarital sex, pornography. Uh, Friday, Amanda and I were headed to a concert and we're driving down 290. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun is still full on at its brightest. And we pass by one of those places where you can go and you can buy pornography. It's just a whole store dedicated to that. It has no windows, but on the sign, there it is. And 10 cars in the parking lot. Parking lot full. We counted. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 cars in this tiny parking lot of this tiny building, all lit up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Not under the cover of night, not in secret, on their way home from work, going in. And you know what? This place is open 24-7. It gets enough business that it can stay open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's open right now. You think that's unbelievable? I can't believe that's happening in our city. Two blocks further south, another one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cars in that parking lot. All of it undermining this amazing picture that God has given us of how he feels 
about his people, marriage. It's the bigger picture. The third thing that I think it's important for us to understand, and this is just my opinion, we can't turn to a place and, and uh, confirm this, but I think given enough time, organizations and governments eventually conform to the world system. Given enough time, the pull of this world and this world system is so strong that organizations and governments will eventually give in and conform. Uh, I'll give you an example, uh, just a silly example, a non-serious example. Uh, how many of you today wish Chick-fil-A were open on Sundays? Uh, the, all of us, right? Don't you crave Chick-fil-A more on Sunday than you do at any other time in the week? You may not even like Chick-fil-A, but you leave church and you're like, man, I really want Chick-fil-A. And uh, I'm sorry, they're closed. I'm working you up for nothing here. Uh, right? Uh, but why, why are they closed on Sunday? Because their founders were, were Christians and they wanted to run their business uh, off of uh, Christian principles. And so they understood the principle of Sabbath. And so they're closed on Sunday. It's great. Big, it's awesome. Now, I don't think it's a terrible sin to be open on Sundays. I'm going to go and eat somewhere after this. I'm going to thank God that they are off open on Sundays. And so I don't feel like God is aiming all of his wrath at wherever you're going to go to lunch today. So I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal in the world for them to be open on Sunday. But how many of you just think, don't raise your hand, uh, but uh, just rhetorical. You think, you think Chick-fil-A will still be closed on Sunday in 10 years? Well, you, you weren't supposed to answer, but uh, you know, 20 years, 100 years. I say I think 20 years from now, Chick-fil-A is open on Sundays, and here's why. Because eventually the little the, the house that Chick-fil-A was founded in, the, that family is going to pass away. And uh, they're not just a Christian organization. They hire all kinds of people, and eventually they're going to get some executives in there, and the grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids who are going to go, why, why are we closed on Sunday? Oh, great-great-great-grandpa, he said that we should be closed on Sunday. But, uh, man, a lot of people want us to be open on Sunday, including a lot of people in this room. So even the Christians would like us to be open on Sunday, so it must not be you know, a terrible sin to, to be open on Sundays. And how much money are we losing because we're not open on Sundays? Oh, we're actually losing a lot of money. You think they're going to be re able to resist forever? Now, maybe you're just a big, huge Chick-fil-A, and then it's Jesus, and then Chick-fil-A, and you're just, you're, you're, you're riding the white horse together. <laughs> Praise God for you. Praise God for you. I, I think probably in 20 years, maximum. Why? Because who does that? In our culture, who does that in this world? No one. And I think eventually it will almost be impossible for them to resist. Because eventually, given enough times, organization and governments conform to the pattern of this world. And so I say all that to say, I don't think very many of us were shocked by the Supreme Court's ruling. Maybe grieved. Maybe it hurt. Maybe you, you didn't want it. But I don't think any of us are shocked because the pull of this world is very strong. And that's why Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And who's it talking to? Is it talking to businesses? Is it talking to governments? No, it's talking to you and I. If you and I can barely resist conforming to this world, how, how much more susceptible are secular organizations and businesses and the fourth thing, I think, just speaking into this a little bit, uh, our responsibility in light of this is just to keep doing the same things we've been doing, to continue to be the light of the world. Nothing about our mission changed on Friday. Nothing about our core purpose shifted on Friday. You maybe think that, it, and it maybe it did, it feels a little bit darker than it did, which means 
that you're just shining all that brighter. That's all that happened. If the light in this country just turned down a little bit, it just means you got a little bit brighter by doing nothing other than the same things you have always been doing. Our responsibility is to, to be the same. And listen, part of being the light of the world in light of this is to have great marriages. You and I can't point our finger at other people wanting to be married and say, no, that's not the way, but our marriage is falling apart. That is being a hypocrite at its very definition. So to the degree that you are passionate about this issue, you better be passionate about your own marriage. If you are single and you're like, I can't believe that's happening, you better start organizing your life and your decision making so that your marriage is strong and represents the light of the world. That's why if your marriage is tense right now, that's why if the, the sexual intimacy in your own marriage is not firing on all cylinders, you need to run to a counselor. You're like, well, I'll pray about it. No, somebody already prayed about it for you. That was me. And God said, yes. <laughs> you go. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Listen, don't go for you. Go for us. Go for the church. Go for Christ. Because your marriage is a picture about how God feels about his people. So there's more at stake than just a Thursday afternoon happiness when you come home from work. There's more at stake than just you used to kind of be like this and you used to rub my back more and you used to rub my feet more. Or we used to do things more. Or we used to date more. There's more at stake than that in your marriage. So you and I today, we can't pretend that we are grieved by other people's opportunity to be married today if we are not also willing to be grieved about the state of our own marriages. Before you start cleaning somebody else's house, you better make sure your own house is clean. That's part of being the light of the world. And listen, we need to continue as we have. It's my favorite thing about this church to continue to represent Jesus with his love, his grace, and his winsomeness. We don't want to be that grumpy old man yelling for people to get off his lawn. That is the impression of the church in the United States, especially when it comes to topics like this, topics that are very personal. They feel very sacred to all involved, and you and I need to know that. So as you do your social media, as you have your conversations in the break room at lunch, you make sure that you're talking about these things, you're talking about people, you're talking about your own life with the winsomeness, the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus. Because if we don't take his love along with his stand, then we're not representing him. We, we, we don't want to just have his truth without his ability to bring in and call home and forgive. See, the world may hate us because it hated Jesus, but we can't hate the world. That's not our posture. You may be hated one day. Hopefully not. You're a wonderful person. Your mom loves you, and so do we. But because you follow Jesus, Jesus was hated, you might also walk down that path, but then you don't respond in hate. When people push you out, you don't push people out. You continue to welcome even when you don't feel welcome anymore. And listen, no matter what ruling comes down on Friday or any day, you and I have 
hope. Why? Because Jesus has prayed for us. And this is where we'll finish this morning. Jesus has prayed for us. Verse 15, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus has prayed for us. In college, I interned at this church and Every church has the prayer lady, you know, just the lady who has a really strong reputation of like you want on her prayer list. You know what I'm talking about? There was this lady there at this church and she was just this awesome, crazy prayer lady. Prayer lady's got to be a little bit crazy or it's just, I don't know what happens, but they got to be a little bit crazy, a little eccentric. And so when you were talking to her, if she felt moved to pray for you, she would just start praying for you right then in the middle of the conversation. And you're thinking, well, okay, everybody, she pauses the conversation and does a bow your head, close your eyes thing. No, you're talking and then she's like looking at you like uncomfortably, like straight in the eye. Anybody ever just like locked eyes with you and you're like, hey, I need some like personal space eye contact wise. That's what she would do. She would lock in on you and then she would start praying out loud for you as you're talking and eventually you just kind of trail off because I guess you're not listening to me anymore. I appreciate that you're listening to God about me. I feel like somebody's talking about me and I, I feel a little vulnerable now in this moment. But that's the way she was. She'd just start praying for you, and then she'd finish, and, you know, it's not like she'd open up her eyes or anything. She would just stop talking, and you'd kind of give her a minute to, like, let it rest in the spirit, I guess. And, and then she'd want you to pick back up where you left off in the conversation, and you're like, did that just happen? Right? I just, I feel like you should just acknowledge that you prayed for me. It's bothering me that, that you don't. But, but all that aside, if you had a need, man, you wanted her praying for you, whether in person or on her prayer, if you got your name in her journal, then like your life was great from there on in. It didn't matter. Uh, so much favor and blessing coming your way. Um, and you may know somebody like that. There may be somebody in your life and you're like, man, I really, I, you know, when I got a need, this is the first person I call. This is the first person I email. Maybe it's your grandma's prayer list. Whoever it is that you feel like God man, really hears them. But look whose prayer list you made it onto today. Jesus' prayer list. You may be like, well, he's actually praying for his disciples. One verse 20 says, I pray not only for those, but for all those who will believe in me because of them. That's you. You made it onto the prayer list of the Son of God. That's why no matter what our future is as followers of Jesus in this country or whatever country we find ourselves in, we're not depressed today. We're not beaten down today. We're not defeated today. We don't feel outnumbered today. We don't feel out-resourced today. We don't feel out-campaigned today. We don't feel like we're unwelcome today. Why? Because you made it on the prayer list of the Son of God. And he gets what he asks for. Because he always asks according to the will of the Father. So we leave today going, it doesn't matter how dark it may or may not get in our country. Because we don't just live in our country. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what rulings happen or don't happen. Because we're citizens of America, that's true. Proud to be an American. And at least I know I'm free. I won't forget the man who something died for me, gave his life. You know what I'm talking about. My whole life I thought that that, that, that song was talking about Jesus. In, in that moment, Amanda had to straighten me out. And she goes, actually, you know, it's talking about a soldier. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> You've been prayed for today. That's really the theme of this whole section as we eavesdrop in on Jesus. He's left us here, absolutely. And the days can be dark. The future can be unknown. 
but we're well-equipped. Equipped with joy, equipped with the name of God, with the word of God. And we know today that we're well-equipped because Jesus has prayed for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that uh, you've left us for a significant purpose, but you've not left us alone. You've left us well-armed. And so we pray by your power and your spirit today that that's the way that we would carry ourselves in this world. That we would continue to love even if we are not loved back. That we would continue to welcome even if we are not welcomed. And I pray that we would not be surprised when things happen to us that happen to you, Lord. And that, that doesn't necessarily um, wear on us like a warm and fuzzy blanket today, but uh, we don't underestimate what you praying for us means. And we're grateful today that we've been left here for something important, and you are with us all the way. And so we celebrate that today, Lord. We celebrate that today. And we pray that as we continue to walk in these days, that you would give us each this incredible discernment and wisdom about how you want us as individuals to walk, how you want us to make decisions, how you want us to think, God. We commit our way to you. Whatever way that is, we commit our way to you. We want to go the path that you are going down because we are your people. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to end this morning by sharing communion together. So if those of us uh, who are helping serve would come and take their places. Since we are here in this new spot, you'll have to scope out which communion place is nearest to you. And here's how we're thinking today as we uh, share communion together. We're coming and we're ripping off the bread and hearing in our ears the body of Jesus broken for you and we're taking that bread and we're dipping it in the cup hearing the blood of Jesus shed for you and as you take it I just want you to remember and for us to acknowledge today that I'm not a part of this world I'm a part of the kingdom of God it's a bread from this world and it's a cup from this world but it is a representation that we are a part of another world. A world that Jesus has invited us into. The scripture tells us that this moment right now, the Lord's Supper is for those who would call Jesus Lord. It's for those who are a part of this world, the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know if I have been born again. I don't know if I am a weed. I may just be a weed. Maybe I've I've wanted to be a weed, but I'm not sure. Then come with faith today as you come to the table, believing in Christ, that his life is your life, that his death on the cross is your death from sin, and his resurrection is your resurrection. Scripture says as you come calling on the name of the Lord, you will be heard and you will be saved, and today is the day that you are born again. So Father, we pray that you would make this time holy. And I pray for any of us this morning who are making that decision of faith today. I don't want to be a weed. I want to be wheat. Jesus, we thank you that we believe that you 
can make that transformation in us from weeds to wheat. We take from your body and from your blood today, knowing that we are a part of another world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. And as you're ready, come and share communion.
going to take our offering now as we finish our services. So if our ushers would come and take their places. God, we uh, put in your hand this time of giving. We give these tithes and offerings uh, to, to you, for you, for your name, for your will in this city and across this country and the world. And so we pray that this money would get into the hands of the people who need it most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for having a seat. Really excited today to uh, to uh, hear from a missionary and uh, and to uh, commission some short-term missionaries as well. So MJ, if you'll come up here, and our Kenya folks would come and have a seat here and or uh, stand up here in the front. That would be uh, fantastic. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, one of our family. You've met her before, right before she left. This is MJ Cox. Put your hands together for MJ. MJ has been, for the last year, uh, a missionary in Uganda, and so uh, we wanted to get a little update from her. So, MJ, tell us a little bit, a summary of uh, what you've been up to in the last year. So, I work in Kampala, Uganda, the capital. Um, I'm the nutrition coordinator with Revelation Life. We work in four slum communities, so I'm over um, a feeding program for malnourished babies in those slums. Uh, that's amazing. And... Um, uh, give us uh, your uh, favorite memory uh, of the last year. I have a lot of memories, um, a lot of favorite memories, but the Lord um, is active in working um, in lives of Muslim um, families in our slums. Uganda is mostly Christian. Um, it's a Christian country. It's not always the, um, the right theology. Um, so we're seeing him really actively change people's theology, but my favorite memory um, is just seeing prayers answered. Every Whenever I go to families' houses um, and weigh their children and measure them and um, just put them on a feeding program and a, a plan, we always pray with them. And at the end of every, I see them every week, so every week we're praying with them. And they're asking us to pray for different things and we prayed with this mom who is devoutly Muslim, and her child was very malnourished. And she, through the malnutrition, the stress of her child being malnourished, the, um, the dad had left, he had started drinking, he had become very abusive, um, had left the family, had stopped supporting her. Um, and she just prayed that we would just, that the Lord would restore their family. Just pray that he will come back, he will provide for our family. Um, so we prayed for weeks and weeks over and over that he would, this man would come back. And the mom came bounding down the hill um, and found us. We usually had to go find her because she was in hiding from this man because he was so abusive. Um, she found us, actually, and she said, you'll never believe it. Jesus answered your prayers, and he's home, and he's taking care of my baby. And just to see, sorry to be emotional, but just to see the way that Jesus is changing lives and changing families by answering prayer. And um, I mean, your prayers for me and for the country of Uganda, Jesus is answering them. So it's just really neat. So now this mom is really involved in a Bible study. Um, she's on her way to becoming a believer. She's asking a lot of questions and her whole family has changed. The baby is now on the other side of um, like a little bit obese and we have to put her on a diet, <laughs> um, which is, yeah, praise the Lord for that. Um, it's a good problem to have, but she's, we're, 
we're working on walking. She's too fat to walk. So. <laughs> I just heard uh, a nutritionist say that uh, being obese was a good problem to have. So uh, I'm going to stop by McDonald's on the way home. Is that okay? Um, uh, MJ, last thing. Uh, how can we be praying for you as you are um, continuing your, your ministry there? Um, I really just covet your prayers. The slums are dark. Physically, they're dark. Spiritually, they're very, very dark. Um, I not argue with, but I strongly encourage moms not to go to a witch doctor. That's what they want to choose first before they'll choose Western medicine. And I have met moms after they have already been to the witch doctor and seen what he has done to the child. So if you would just pray um, really against that darkness, because it's in, in those slums, and we feel, I feel it physically when I go in, and it is, it's heavy, and I leave heavy. Um, and, you know, where the Lord is working, Satan knows exactly that, and he does everything to prevent that work. So if you would just pray for me, um, emotionally and physically, and just most of all spiritually, and pray for the rest of my team. I'm on a team of 25, and it's heavy, it's hard. Um, we see the worst of the worst poverty and family situations. So if you would if you would just pray for us, yeah. Absolutely, we're gonna pray for you in just a second. And our Kenya team, if you guys will stand right up here, um, excited to send some folks to Kenya. Uh, we have a great partnership with His Voice Global who has Lulu House over there in Kenya. We've already sent one team and this is a second team that's going to follow up building relationships uh, with uh, young women who have been brought out of uh, some pretty terrifying situations, given a safe place to live, grow, uh, and uh, for their faith to develop. And these are the ladies who are going to love on them and uh, give their, their time, money, 